saying that today of saying to Bob, he's like, he's like the quintessential pastor. You guys have a great pastor, you know. He has a great, great heart. Yeah, yeah, I really appreciate it. Well, it's fun for us to be back. Um, we, Cheryl and I, more or less, grew up in, in Ventura-ish. Elmhurst, Balboa, Buena, okay. Even a little Ventura College thrown in there, it's good, you know. So, um, and it's part, of, it's fun. I was, I was saying to Bob as well, that when we were in junior high school or high school, I can't actually, it's probably high school because Cheryl's with me. Uh, we, we were high school students sitting in the balcony for Youth for Christ stuff. That's never good, you know. Yeah, I shouldn't, you know. That's right. Anyway, we were there, you know. Um, and as we kind of grew, one of the reasons I'm telling you the story, as we grew, Jim Elliott, who's a missionary, God used him in the 50s uh, to open up some whole new areas, and he wrote some great diaries, journals, if you ever want to read his stuff. But he talked about, like, what is a missionary call, right? Well, I'm not, I'm, I'm not called, right? Yeah, maybe. You know, um, and he just says, a missionary call is just following Jesus step by step, day by day, in your daily, to, to be with him, to do what he's calling you to do, and you suddenly wake up and discover he's led you somewhere else. And so that's kind of how what happened to us, a little bit about, about us, for those of you who don't know us, uh, the, the most important fact that you need to know about, about me is I'm Francis Kingsley's son. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's, that's the most important, important fact. Had to get that one in, or I'd be in big trouble. You know, yeah, but you know, it's good. So anyway, we we've uh, uh, we wound up going in 1982. Uh, we we've been on summer tri- summer trips. Watch out for summer trips; they'll mess up your plans. You know, and we went on a summer trip and uh, came back in '82. We've been there. It'll be 36 years in May. So 36. It's almost a career. You know, so we're thinking about that. You know, and uh, yeah, Matt our, our was uh, 18 months old when we first first came, and uh, we've kind of had the the brood expand over the years. So it's been really good. And the core of what we're really trying to do working with Greater Mission in Ireland is really be followers of Jesus. Just be disciples, you know, who are following him in what he says and where he leads, step by step, and multiplying other followers, inviting, but it's, it's kind of what you, what, you, what you say in your board out there. It's kind of your motto. It's inviting people into the life of Jesus day by day. So we're doing that, uh, multiplying disciples and multiplying new churches. And so we've been, been working at that for, uh, for a while. I probably have some notes here I probably ought to look at instead of just, you know, kind of wondering what the pictures are coming up behind me. So this is good. So one of the things we've been doing is actually trying to reach to people. And like one of the couples that we've worked with over the years is a couple of Ronan and Lantine. And Lantine grew up, she's Dutch, married to an Irish man, and she grew up as third generation atheist, okay? Nobody in her family. We found out recently that she had a great, great, great grandfather who believed, you know? And I always say, ah, I bet you he was praying for you. But she came along, and uh, we got to know them at parties and gatherings and things like that. And eventually, you know, she kind of pops up and says, you know, um, you know, like, I'd be interested in reading the Bible. In fact, a friend said, hey, you want to read with me? And uh, she says, well, oddly enough, I've already started reading. So God was drawing her, drawing her into. And over a short period of time, she and her husband, actually a long period of time, she and her husband actually came to the place where they realized who Jesus was and came to a place of belief. And now they're following, and they're very much engaged in reaching out. They're involved in leadership things, working out with refugees. And recently, we've had a really good, good, uh, good time where they've connected us with some Iranian refugees um, who are now following Jesus. Where, you know, they've, they've come, and they've recently been baptized. It was really fun seeing, and, and I'll tell you, hearing people share their testimony at their baptism about what they've come from and how they discovered the grace of God and the love of God, and in tears, 
as they're baptized, talk about the change of life. Well, I love that because that was Ronan and Lantine making that connection. And I get a chance to help disciple some of those guys and, and share scripture with them and help them grow step by step. But that's disciples making disciples who are multiplying disciples. So that's one of the things we do. Um, we, we're also, I don't know what's the next one actually, sorry. I, I should look at my notes instead of looking at the pictures. That's what I should do. So, so after Ronan and Lantine, yeah, we... Um, our whole goal is new disciples, new churches. For, so one of the couples that, we're, um, that we worked with as well, um, I teach at the Irish Bible Institute. So that's kind of one of the things I do. And so I teach formal education. We do informal education. You know, so we do training, uh, small groups, one-to-ones across with, with people. But doing that, we connect up with some of the developing leaders in the country. And then afterwards, we get a chance to go out and hang out with them. So like uh, one, of the, one of the guys... Yeah, it's like, um, you know, well, let's see, the ne- next slide. Is it Hosh? Yeah, it's, it's Paul Lynn. I love Paul and Lynn's story. Because uh, Paul, when he grew up, he grew up in, a, in an Irish family in London. And it was a big family, and it was kind of criminally oriented, you know? And his dad basically said, you'll never amount to anything. He said, you're a waste. You're a troublemaker. He was in trouble a lot, you know? And he says, you, there's no hope for you at all. And he eventually kind of lived up to that low thing, got involved in heroin addiction and drugs. He met Lynn also in heroin addiction. She was involved in, you know, she was a, a, a street worker. Um, I mean, she was a prostitute and, and uh, also heroin addicted. And even to the place where, where her children were being taken away from her. You know, but that process. They met, uh, again, through just divine intervention and came to Ireland because they thought, well, they won't take our kids away in Ireland, you know. Uh, and in the course of coming over, heard the gospel. Now, Paul started going to IBI, the Irish Bible Institute, where I teach. He's one of my students. Um, he graduated last year with honors. It's the highest level of graduation. And now he's in the master's program, program at IBI. Uh, and his, his, his dad came to the graduation. That was a good story. That's a good story. And now he and Lynn are living in the very west of Ireland. They've opened up a shop in a, in a town where there's no Christian witness that we know of. It's a charity shop. So people come in, you know, uh, dumping off their, you know, their stuff for the charity shop, you know, as you do. And also people coming in to sort through and try to find something they need. And Paul and Lynn will sit down and say, hi, how are you? Do you want a cup of tea? Which is what you say in Ireland. You know, would you have a cup of tea? You know, and so um, sit down and chat, you know, and uh, hear their story. And oftentimes the stories are quite troubled uh, because, you know, they're, they're there. And Paul and Lynn get a chance to say, well, funny enough, this is our story. And they get a chance to share about what Jesus has done in their lives and how he's changed them from hopelessness uh, and actually given them hope and life and purpose. And so they're helping to start a new church, church out there. They're also involved as counselors in a, a drug addiction program. How cool is that? Isn't that great? You know, drug addicts coming to Christ, turned around and become counselors in that program. So it's, we get to do, you know, this is a fun job. We get to, we get to do that. Another, another guy that we worked with is a guy named uh, Hoi Wang, who's, who uh, he came to, um, to Ireland from Hong Kong uh, just to study accounting. You know, a lot of times that happens, English speaking, English speaking, and um, uh, met Jesus and heard the gospel and began to actually, and so he decided to go to IBI. It was in one of my, stu- my classes. A super, super hardworking guy. Now he's the new pastor at the, at the Chinese Christian Church. Um, and he's, when his, his burden is, you know, he says Chinese people, I know there's a stereotype, forgive me, but Chinese people are very, very hardworking and, you know, don't have time. And he said, I'm trying to get my, my, my Chinese church actually to think about reaching the people around them 
who don't yet know Jesus? How do we train them and help them make, make, that, make that choice? So that's one of the fun things. That, by the way, you are partnering. When you, when you pray for us, when you give, when you give not just to us but to other missionaries, you guys have a finger, a very big, big role in what God is doing to change life upon life upon life. So that's one of, one of the things we're doing. Um, yeah, I was talking about where we network with people that are, 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 are interested in disciplification, that we hosted a No Place Left gathering. And that's, that's people working in English-speaking Western contexts like America, not, not Africa, not Asia, but America, where we're, not, we're seeing the footprint or the influence of a Jesus worldview plateaued or shrinking. Okay, why is that? So we're in a country that we've got the, you know, the most resources, high, high percentage of Christians, Bible colleges, radio, television, media, all that stuff, and yet the footprint is not expanding. It's either plateaued or shrinking. How is that? Well, one of the things that we think, we believe, is, is that our enemy, Satan, has actually got us on mute. So we're experiencing life change. We're hearing about Jesus changing. We just don't tell anybody. We just don't sh share people what we sing, you know, that God is the one changing us. So No Place Le Left Network is trying to, trying to say, how do we mobilize and help people? By the way, Cheryl and I are here in, in Ireland for, uh, sorry, in, where are we? You know, in Ventura uh, for uh, a few more months. And while we're here, we're trying to do the same thing here that we're doing there. So while we've been here, we've actually had the privilege of training 150 people, plus people in different churches, small groups and different things, on how to be more effective in just everyday mission everyday life. We do that in small groups, we do it in church settings, and it's one of the things we do. So anyway, I'm just going to kind of wrap up. We do discovery teams. Yeah, we've, we had a, actually a recent team from Ventura, another one from Oakview recently, and we just bring them out on the days. In the mornings, we train the principals, and then what we do, we do really fun stuff. We get on trains, or we get on buses, or we go into city parks, and we just say, you know, hi, you know, we're, we're just here in, in Ireland. Um, you know, what should we see, you know? And what's really important? What would she not miss? And then we ask, you know, are you from here? Tell me your story. So we listen to their story. And then eventually they're going to say, well, are you here on, in Ireland, we say holiday. Are you here on holiday? And, um, and we'll say, well, yes and no. We're here to try to learn everything we can about Ireland and Irish people and the culture and the arts. But we're also interested in their, their hearts, their spirits, and uh, in, their, in their belief in God. Because we knew that Ireland used to be known as a really, really religious country, right? You know? But today, not so much. Um, what happened? And so we ask those questions and listen to their answers. And then eventually, we come back and say, well, here's our story. So we talk about their story, our story, leading to Jesus' story. Very simple stuff. So we do that during the day. So that's what discovery teams do. Anyway, um, I just want to say thanks for, for what you do. I want to get back into our passage. We're going to be looking in James 3. But just for your partnership with us, um, we could not, you know, we, God uses you to sustain us. God uses you to encourage us. Uh, so as you're involved uh, with us as part of our support team, you're involved in the lives of the Paul and Lynn's. You had a part in that. Of the, the, the Hoi Wang's and his family. You have a part in that. And over and over, the Ronins and Leontines. You have a part in that. So we want to say thank you for that. So we're going to be looking at James chapter 3. Uh, Bob, Bob um, uh, asked me there's, if you've got a Bible, you want to turn there, be in verses 13 through 18, and we're going to talk about your life story. It's cool, isn't it? 
You know, this is your life. No, no we're not going to talk about that. But we're going to continue to look and see, because of this whole book of James, you know, one of the themes that is woven through here is what is living faith? What is the life that Jesus, of, of, of Jesus' life lived out in us and through us? What does that look like? And more importantly, we're going to ask, why does that even matter? Isn't it enough just to believe the truth? Does it actually have to be lived out? So we're going to talk about that. So Bibles in your seat fronts, if you've, if you've got them. By the way, you know, on that new app, we should, you, should, you should have your, your favorite Bible on that, by the way. You'll be able to do that. And also, it, you know, you, you can ask Siri or Alexa. You'll have a little button, and you can ask Bob, you know. So any question you have, you press that on the new app. Yeah, they haven't told you about this? They press this. And you'll, you'll have, have 24-7 access to Bob for any question, random question that would come up any time, day or night. And I just want to say, don't worry about this whole Facebook, you know, kind of Cambridge. The data that's gathered on here won't be used to send you targeted Bible verses. It's not going to happen, you know. Uh, yeah, not yet. So I was uh, reading through this passage, and we're going to be looking at it. But as I was reading and thinking about it myself, I came across this really kind of one of those ouch questions. It says, what does your life say about what you believe? Because it always says something. Ouch. Ouch. Reading that and thinking about, um, you've heard the line that, you know, your life is speaking so loud, I can't quite hear what you're saying. You know, that kind of a thing. So sometimes we're intending to send out a message, but actually uh, we wind up sending out an entirely different message. And as I was thinking about that, you know, unintended messages, um, I came acro- across some graphics by a guy named Cliff, D- uh, Cliff D- Dickens, a uh, Nashville guy. And he says, you know, like businesses and brands are always trying to send you a message, but sometimes there's other messages that they didn't quite intend. You know, so um, I, thought, I thought he calls these more honest slogans. You can look them up. For example, Gillette. He says, no matter what the advertising campaign is, it's just going to come down to, we're going to add more blades. That's, that's basically it, you know. Everyone knows that. There's 17 blades. Where are they coming? Or, or Louis Vuitton. You know, that's, that's one. When you see it, the unintended message is... It's probably a fake, okay, probably, probably a fake, you know, that. Um, or, or this one from Hallmark, you know, when you care enough to send a mass-produced card, you know, that's, that's, that, that's, that's the deep one. And my apologies, I'm not picking on anybody here. You know, if you have a Harley Davidson, it's not, I didn't know this, but here's the unintended message. We're here for that midlife crisis. Or Ikea, anybody have some Ikea experience here? We throw in extra parts just to mess with you. Or this is my favorite, okay? Old Spice. Yes. Smell like grandpa, you know. So, like, you know, like it or not, you know, we're all sending out these messages, untended, uh, you know, sometimes. And we think we might know what they are, and sometimes they're not right. But I was reading Mike Frost, and he's a, he's a theologian from Australia. And uh, he's, he's always saying, are you, are you living a questionable life? Think about that. And he's thinking about that, pa- that passage. I better put my glasses on. It says, it says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have within you. But think about that. Do you get asked a lot? Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't get asked. And um, he goes on to say it may be because our life is sending out you know, conflicting messages. You know, um, we profess biblical theology, we profess to be church people, Jesus people, but our ch- life choices, our words, our attitudes reflect kind of a more earthly, more pagan kind of reflection. And you know what happens? Then your story is incoherent. 
professing one thing, but the message is coming out a different way. Uh, it doesn't, the, you know, the picture on the box doesn't quite math, match, you know, what's actually inside. Or maybe it's just that people are afraid to ask because they know that, from experience that if they ask you a simple question, that you, they're going to get reams of Bible verses and inexplicable theology, so they're just, I'm just not going to ask that question. Or, or he, Frost also says maybe it's just that they actually are asking, but we don't understand that they are. For example, he says uh, some of the sar- sarcasm or aggression, you know, or criticism is, is a masked way of asking, what makes you so different? Why do you think differently than I do? You know, and sometimes if we respond back to those those you know, criticisms or the sarcasm with kind of like defensiveness or aggressiveness. Well, can't we just kind of agree that if we're talking about grace, but we do it in an ungracious way, that's, that's conflicted, right? That's mixed messaging. It gets confusing. So there's a lot of different reasons why. So James, he actually is addressing these issues. He's talking about why living faith matters. So look in James 3, 13 through 18. He says, who is wise? And understanding among you, let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The things we genuinely believe, the things that shape our choices and our actions and our attitudes, our words, our core beliefs, if they really are our core beliefs, are going to be reflected out and observable to others. James writes, he talks about wisdom. It's a really interesting word. It's kind of a word I like. And James, by the way, is a very, uh, it's, he has a very Jewish flavor and feel to it. Uh, some of the other epistles, a lot of Paul's writing, writings, they have that as well, but has a little more of a Greek, you know, uh, uh, and kind of more, more linear argumentation. But, but I, like, I, like a, uh, I like this book, and I like kind of the Jewish thinking, because it's Irish is like this as well. In Ireland, they don't do a lot of linear. It's A plus B, therefore C. It's very linear, you know, logical. This is linear. Ireland doesn't do that. Ireland, Ireland does like A plus red plus, you know, orange plus square equals, you know. And so it's kind of like, like what I call looking at a, at a, um, a jigsaw puzzle. Everyone, anyone ever do those? Put them, I hate them, by the way, but you know when you do them, you know. But it's kind of a tradition in, in some, some members of our family to do those on New Year's Eve, okay? You know, please, only happens once a year, thank God. But it's, you know, but you start with a little piece in this corner, and here's another piece that goes there, and you start to fit it together, and eventually, what do you see? This picture comes up that you didn't quite see again. James is like that. So he's painting a, a picture for us throughout this entire book. And it may not be bang, 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 bang linear, But he's painting these little pictures, these vignettes, and he's trying to talk about what does this life look like. So he talks about wisdom, and one of the Hebrew words for wisdom that I really like, uh, it's a word called chokmah in in Hebrew, and you know what it means? It's not just getting facts. It's not just information. Chokmah is truth applied, okay? It's skill, it means literally skillful living, skill and living. So he's talking about wisdom as, as actually, as you're living out, as you're applying these things together. And he says, if you're wise and in your understanding, it's going to show. It's going to show in how you apply it. But he says this, he says, it's, it's by deeds done in humility. Well, what, how does wisdom produce humility? Did you ever, ever read in Proverbs? It's, it's one of my, you know, those verses that I, I, I didn't really like. Proverbs 9, 10, he says, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. And I always, like, like as a kid, thought, oh, does God want me to be afraid of him? Is that, is that what it is? No. 
It's talking about that sense when you stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon and you, you realize how immense. Or you're out camping and suddenly you're away from the city and there's more stars than you've ever seen in your life and they're brighter and they're clearer. And in that moment you begin to realize how small we are, how immense this is, and whoever created this and made this. And suddenly there's a moment of awe. There's a moment of you know, we all always, always sing, um, you know, then sings my soul. You know, at that point, you know, you, you, break, you break into songs of praise, realizing who God really is. Or Isaiah. Remember Isaiah, he talks about the year that King Uzziah died. You know, he's in, he's in the temple, and, he's, and he has this vision of God, high and lifted up. You know, I love the phrase, they said the last pers- person, that, or the last thing that Isaiah thought he would encounter in, in church was God. He, he, didn't, he didn't actually expect to meet God there, you know, but, but he did. He encountered him there, and in that moment, what happens? He just falls face forward. See, there's something about when you, you come to terms with who you are and who God is, there's a moment of clarity. There's a moment of understanding. He talks about, you know, it's, it's that awe that, that, that God strikes in our heart, and suddenly things get shrunk back into perspective. My problems, my challenges, my inner struggles, you begin to realize. And he says it's, he says it's not the end of wisdom, it's the starting place. Because the more you lean in and trust God, the more you depend upon him, but you're not going to do it until you come to that place of response and submission. It's the foundation of wisdom. And that's what he's talking about. He says, when you have that crystal clear moment of who you are and who God is, then it begins to shape how you live, what you say, what you do. Understanding his power, his goodness, suddenly shrinks my life back into perspective. In verse 14, though, he goes on to say, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, in your hearts, he says, don't boast about it. Deny the truth. Bitter envy? Selfish ambition? Harboring? You're like, what's, what's harboring? Harboring's giving a safe place, right? It's, it's, it's nurturing. It's protecting. So if you find in your heart bitter envy, he says, well, don't boast about that. Don't be proud about that. And he says, also, if you see it there, don't try to cover it up. Don't try to deny it. But instead, what he's saying, spot it recognize it, recognize the source, and call it out. Envy is interesting. He says, um, you know, bitter envy, it's uh, this this discontented, resentful longing for the circumstances or the relationships or opportunities or the abilities or or the stuff that other people have. You know, know, I love to sing, Jesus, you're all I need, right? You know, uh, but then tomorrow morning my car won't start, you know? Oh, or my phone's broken, or I can't get my laptop to re- reboot. You know, if we just had the opportunities, or if we just, we just had the relationships or the advantages that other people have, <clears throat> and we just, just do, and it comes back, and we struggle, and struggle. If we harbor that bitter envy in our, in, in our hearts, he says, that's a symptom. That's a symptom. Uh, I love it. It says, you know, in, in 1 Timothy 6, 6, Paul writes, he says, you know, godliness with contentment is great gain. Yeah. There's a wisdom that comes from one source. There's a wisdom that comes from above. Um, he, goes on, he goes on to say, uh, yeah, in, in Timothy 1.6, he talks about people that have, have pierced themselves with many sorrows, wandered from the faith, and, and from there. Also, selfish ambition. I was the only child. This wasn't, wasn't my parents' fault, you know? Um, but I was an only child, and so I have a degree in selfishness. 
But, by the way, I have a theory about this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, just delay about this. I, when, I, when I first started dating Cheryl, she was, she was one, one of six, right? Five, six. You know, and, and so I remember actually my shock of being an only child, having dinner at a household. And I discovered that when dessert came and we were doing strawberry shortcake, I was sitting at the wrong end of the table. And suddenly I went, oh, so it's a competitive sport. You have to get in there. So I have, here's my theory, is, is, that, is that only kids grow up being generous and giving, because there's plenty, you know? And those raised in big families, they've got to scrap and scramble. So actually, you know, you know that's, uh, anyway, no one else has said anyway. But selfish ambition, yeah, I, I don't believe it either. I don't believe it either, okay? You know, but what is that? It's doing everything I can to advance myself, to make my life secure, to protect myself and those I love, but without concerns for the others, for the needs of anybody else. By the way, that's, you know, a lot of us think, well, you know, what's wrong, wrong with that? You know? But, you know, James is saying, well, that's, that's the wisdom that we honor in this world. That's the wisdom, that's the way of living that people respect here. But Jesus modeled and he lived a completely different way. Uh, and he's the one, by the way, that calls us to follow. Mark 10, 45 says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his, rans- his life as a ransom for many. And again, Jesus is the one that leads us, he calls us to follow. So in verse 15, James says this, he says, that kind of wisdom, that kind of wisdom doesn't come down from heaven. It's not, it's not God's way. But it's earthly, it's unspiritual of the devil. Because where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. He says, you spot it, you name it, you recognize the source, you know what it is. So spot the difference. You know, it's, there's the evidence of earthly wisdom. You know, he says this, it's, it's full of bitter envy. It's selfish, it's boastful, it denies the truth. It's really grounded in this world. Unspiritual, we don't need God, right? We got this. And sometimes we can be tempted to do that. Like, we'll handle, handle the main things and just call God in for the big stuff, you know? That's, that's a different kind of, kind of wisdom, okay? It's earthly. He says, giving rise to disorder and every evil practice. But it's symptoms of a way deeper disease. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like when the, you know, the, the red light goes off on your, in your dash, you know, in your car. I'm the kind of guy, I'm not really that mechanical. I mean, every, everything I know about cars, I've learned from bad experiences. And uh, not that mechanical, like if there's a noise in the engine, usually I turn the radio up, you know, it's that kind of a thing, you know, um, you know just make it a little bit louder, you know, um, or if, you know, if there's a, there's a flashing red light, you know, uh, you just kind of put something over that so you don't have to look at that, you know, but if you do that, what happens? There's more problems. It's going to lead to more problems. So what James is saying here is, is when you see these symptoms, you see these evidences of earthly wisdom in our lives, that we're responding, that we're defaulting to. We're, we're professing, we've heard, we've received, we've understood the, the good news about Jesus, but our choices and attitudes are not being shaped by God's word and God's way. They're being shaped by something else, and that's that incoherent, conflicting message. When you see that, James says, you need to call it out, you need to recognize it, you need to name it for what it is. And then he talks about something else. He talks about the, the changes. He talks about the wisdom from heaven. And he says it's pure. He says it's peaceable, it's loving, it's considerate. Um, God's called us to be these living ambassadors, leading people in a reconciliation with God through Christ. And it's part of why this is so important. Because when our, when our words say one thing, but our lives say something different, that's confusing. 
And God's called us in for a different purpose. Now, it's really important that you understand that the message here today is, isn't, isn't, well, stop being selfish, right? It's not stop being envious. If that's what the message was, that would be bad news. Because you know what? You and I can't pull that off, right? How are you guys doing keeping your New Year's resolutions from last year, okay? Yeah, anybody? You know, maybe some people are. My resolution is to have no resolutions. Okay, well done. It's, you know, but, but in and of ourselves, left to our own human resources, I don't have the ability to love like Jesus loves. In and of myself, my own ability, my own resources, I don't have the ability to, to forgive or care or to be submissive or humble like Jesus. And the, and the really cool thing about that is, is that um, we're not left to our own resources. Isn't that incredible? That's where the, where the good news kicks in here. I love uh, Tim Keller again. Sorry about the Tim Keller quotes. But he comes back and he talks about, he talks about yeah, sorry, I'm further down the line, Sally. He talks about being under, you're underqualified. He says, you're underqualified for the job of master and commander of your life. You, you were never designed to do that. You were never designed. You were designed to live in union and, and relationship with Jesus. Uh, you may have heard Cheryl and I say this before, but one of the things that's really hit us as we've been pouring through the Gospels these last few years is hearing Jesus say over and over again, by the way, the words I'm speaking to you, they're not my words. It's pretty interesting. He says, the things I'm doing, I'm only doing what the Father's doing. You know? So you'd think that, that, that Jesus, part of the Trinity, he could kind of wing it, right? He could freelance, you know? But he's modeling a life that you and I can follow. He's saying, if I'm living life today, I'm going to live my life in submission to the Father and say, Father, how do I respond to that, that jab, that criticism? How do, I, how do I respond in care to that person? What are you doing here, Father? How do I come and cooperate? So he's calling us into a life not of independence. You know, we live independent, and then we just call God in for the, for the big stuff that we can't, can't manage. That's the wisdom of this world, Okay. Instead, what, what, what uh, the reality is, is we're designed for living day by day in relationship with Jesus, who designed the Spirit of God living in us as, as image bearers. Um, there's a great one in John 15, 5. You've seen this passage? Jesus talking to his disciples. He says this. He says, um, I'm the vine. I'm the source. You're the branches. He says, if you remain in me, my words remain in you. Another passage says, if you abide, if you dwell, if you're living in me, and my words are living in you, not just in your head, but living out in you, he says, you know what happens? You will bear much fruit. And then he says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Isn't that incredibly good news? So the message of, of James and the message of the scripture is not you've got to suck it up, work harder, you know, be less selfish, try to be all these things. It's not. As Brittany said in the first service, he says, that's just piling shame and guilt. That's not the message. The message is incredible good news. It's about who we are, who we're designed to be. I love this passage in, in, in uh, 1 Peter, uh, Peter 2.5. He says, this is who you are. Don't forget who you are. He says, you're a, a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show the goodness of God. Uh, to others, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The whole reason this matters, the reason why it's not enough just simply to have it in your head, but it's got to trickle through and work out in terms of your story, your life, and who you are, is because your identity, my identity, is to be this living, breathing model and ministry 
for the goodness of God's kingdom come to earth. I love this in, in 2 Corinthians 3. Uh, Paul says it in a different context. He says, you know, you show that you're a letter. You have a story. You're a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, and not on tablets of stone, but on, this is real life. This is lived out in day-to-day life. And I was reading that, and then, it, and then it dawned in me, this is written in, what, what's, the, what's the reference of that passage? What's the book? 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Remember that church? They had some problems. They had some issues. So we're not talking about perfection. We're, not, we're talking about when you see the evidence of that worldly, earthly, other source way, that wisdom, popping up in your life, the response is not to just suck it up and work harder. The response is to drop to our knees and just say, Jesus, I can't love like you love. I can't serve like you love. Fill me with your spirit and then take the next step of faith and, and obedience and move forward. It's Christ in me. I mean, it's the, the, uh, this is the, the uh, mystery of godliness, right? It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. So we're letters. Uh, again, I think Keller's, Keller's question is, you know, what does your life say? And it is saying something. So God help us in humility, uh, in dependence upon the Spirit of God, that our lives would be, that we'd take, be taken off of mute, and our lives would be that living, breathing, modeling, messaging story of God's goodness and kingdom. So let me pray for us as we come.